0: hey everybody welcome to the show i'm your host mike and i am joined once again by a good friend of the show jay skipworth jay how you doing man
1: Man, I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me uh, again here on Amateur Tours, and uh, for joining me for this uh, little journey we're going to do over the next 12 months.
0: Yeah, I uh, this is going to be a very fun, and interesting segment that is going to be uh, exclusive to Amateur Journal Tours. But I do want to start off saying this is Jay's idea. Jay brought this to me. Uh, I think when we were recording our West Side Story, like post yeah. or post conversation, we we're just talking about things that we we're watching, and you said, "Oh, like here's something that I've been." wanting to do can't fit into film strip uh and you shot me the idea and i said oh yeah that's gonna be like a lot of fun um to talk with you and also be exposed to films that i haven't seen before and uh we're being around the bush a little bit so jay since this is your inception what is this idea (laughs) and what will we will we be talking about for the next you know year pretty much
1: Yeah, well, to date myself here a little bit, heading into my 45th year uh, around the sun here at this point. A lot of firsts coming up for me. I'm running my first full marathon. That may be my last one, too. We'll see. (laughs) Um, And, you know, lots of other things going on. And I, I just decided, you know what? I need to go back and see, quote, great films that I've just missed through the years. And I thought, well, how do I even tackle something like that? Like to make it palatable at all, you know? And I said, well, okay, the the way to do it would be once a month, And I don't know where I came up with the decades idea. I think I got that from something you were saying. Maybe it was in the West Side Story conversation somewhere along the way, but I said, you know, I should just go back 12 previous decades. Like from if I were to start December 2022, and okay, that'll be the 2020s, and just working my way all the way back till I go as far as that'll go. And I should look at you know top a f i list things on i m d b random Google searches, you know just whatever you know list of the top films uh, best films of a decade, and I should look through and see what I haven't seen from them because um i'm I'm not as much a film historian as um you know like my friend Kurt or maybe you or your brother, but I have seen a lot of stuff. And I thought, well, you know, it'll be fun to go and and look at some of these things that are considered great and examine them with a modern eye and say, okay, what, you know, try to look at them from the context of where they came from. And can I see influences, things like that. And it also just will be a fun exercise to watch stuff that I normally wouldn't do. Because like I say, it doesn't really fit the film strip mantra. And uh, even though we do everything, but we don't really do that kind of retrospective. And I I didn't want to tie a whole year up with doing that. And uh, I remember you telling me... like. Like you had this big goal of putting out a lot more content on amateur art tours. And I said, well, you know what, maybe I can help with that a little bit so you know, I I can do this episode with you and uh, I'll make you watch these with me too. And when I pulled together the list, and I won't spoil the whole thing now, we'll kind of tease it out a piece at a time here. Uh, there was someone there that kind of surprised you that I had missed. And honestly, I was sort of surprised that, you know, I've never b- seen that, you know, and, uh, and then there are a lot of things obviously were way before, obviously way before my time and are things that I've, seen references to heard about, but just never bothered to watch. And so that's the whole purpose is to go back through 12 decades of great films and see what makes them so great. And, uh, and are they great? And so, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. We're just going to take a once a month, do an episode here. And it won't be like the usual film breakdown where we plot drop and walk through a little bit. I kind of don't want to do that. I really am more interested in examining it from a, historical context point of view and also its influences and you know, it, it's obviously stood the test of time. So why, and what is it about these things that make them iconic or, or anachronistic? And, and um, so, yeah, I'm excited about this. I mean, we're getting to mix in a lot of foreign films that are, are worldwide known. and again, Maybe actors I know, but performances I haven't seen from them, or directors, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's the whole thing here. We're going to go back through twelve decades of films and talk about one that was considered great, not the greatest. We're not doing the number ones because I haven't seen a lot. I happen to have seen a lot of those, uh, but uh, you know, these all fell within again some list somewhere that uh, is you know, at least verifiable. So, you know, what that's that's what we're talking about. And and where we can, you know, we'll try to tell people where they can where they can find it and, you know, and watch it. Cause especially a lot of these older films are on like archive.org and you know my local library has them and stuff like that. So
0: yeah, or YouTube, um, which yeah. is where I found a lot of yeah. the early stuff that we're gonna be talking about. Yeah, and I'm really yeah. excited to be when you shot me this idea, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Um, I know, like I mentioned in previous episodes, I started like a letterbox, trying to watch one new film, at least one new film a week. And when I first started that idea, I initially had uh, one of the many lists I have of just like exposure. It's such a, a broad term. But I really wanted to, you know, really open my eyes to different film, whether it be, you know, foreign cinema, older cinema, um just different even just different genres that I wouldn't even necessarily classify that I'm a fan of but like I wanted to be exposed to it I got rid of that list because then I was like well what goes under the exposure tab so <laughs> but I think this is like all this stuff because of the of the list I think I've only seen three or four but I I say maybe because it's been so long and when I first watched them I was probably like in high school and I just didn't have that appreciation like I was first getting into movies so yeah this is going to be a really fun conversation and yeah I think each episode I agree like it shouldn't necessarily be what we normally do when we sit down and just kind of go from like either chronological in some way or another even if we do jump around a little bit but I think it should just be more of a free-form conversation I think the conversations are going to be shifting as we get through the decades especially when we get towards more like modern day cinema Um, because these earlier films and especially like the silent film era I feel like I call them um like film history movies and that you really watch like once or twice in your life and just to like appreciate it and see like the humble beginnings or even just like the grand scope of like where people started and whether like where we've progressed and even I think kind of gone back a little bit and cinematic or modern day cinematic uh viewing and making of the movies so um but yeah so we're just going to hit the ground running with uh, our first film which i think w- looking at the the list i was like yeah this is a very appropriate that we're going to be talking about this one first it's kind of like one of the most actually arguably one of the most groundbreaking films ever you can you can if you if you really look any director that is you know, they make a film that they're paying homage to anything. There's something of this film in those, and um, and the impact of this has been amazing. So, Jay, what is the first film that we'll be talking about in this series?
1: We're going to be talking about the French adventure short film from 1902, Georges Malais' A Trip to the Moon. Uh, and I won't try to butcher the French uh, version of it. Uh, like you say, we're in the silent film era but this is one that has a musical soundtrack it has a piano track to it um and uh is one that was hand colored uh, along the way and then got restored it's out there but the I think the iconic piece everybody will know from this if you've ever seen the picture of the moon with a face in it with a man's face in and then all of a sudden he's got something sticking out of his eye and it looks like ketchup running down the face even if it's colored or not that's a trip to the moon and it's I mean it's sort of based on Jules Verne's From Earth to the Moon and you know some of his other stuff and it's really based on what what we didn't know about lunar cycle and you know what what man in the moon was and the cheese and you know, all this other stuff it's it's what I call one of the first sci-fi horror movies of all time because this is uh there's so much in this that is um I mean, it's it, like I say, it's it's hard to not see its influence for decades, even till now. And I'm thinking about this. You know, we're, we're doing this in January of 2022. In a few weeks, Moonfall is coming out. And I was in a theater recently watching the latest Scream. And that was a trailer. And I laughed at myself. I was like, so in 120 years, <laughs> we've gone from complete farces about the moon to complete farces about the moon. So it's, I mean, you know, we're still doing this. And uh, I, I knew of this. I knew I'd seen some of the pictures and some of it, but I never sat down and watched the whole 12 minutes of it. And so, uh, like I said, found it on archive. Watched it. Found a color version on YouTube. Watched that a few times. I've watched this mm. several times through now, and uh, I I would recommend the black and white. I mean, I'm I'm one of those old school that like if you colorize things, like eh, it kind of takes away a little bit of it. But it is an experiment, and it's kind of neat to watch it done. Uh, but yeah, man, this one is. Um, it's neat because it plays on a lot of things I grew up learning in history class about the explorers and particularly like, you know, Vespucci and Columbus and, and all that group that explored the new world and sort of how they got sent off to do that. And the setup of this is pretty much the same. It's these aristocrats get the scientist who's sort of, you know, it's all done through motion. There's no words. There's no yeah. title cards. There's nothing. Um, and so you just have to kind of figure it out. Being a big fan of theater, I'm going, like, I'm digging this sort of improvisational, experimental theater vibe that it's got. And he says, I can take people to the moon. So he takes a group of scientists to the moon. They get out, and all of a sudden, they're attacked by inhabitants of the moon, which don't dis uh, don't don't look all that dissimilar from the flying monkeys in Wizard of Oz. At least that's what they reminded me of. And yeah, uh, or they King they, Kong. I was getting strong Earth. King Kong vibes on this, which I was like, lots Dang. of lots of Kong. And and so they basically run back to their capsule and you know chuck it off the end of a mountain back <laughs> to Earth. And uh, a fish in, tank. inside of into the fish tank but with one of the inhabitants one of the lunar you know people uh coming with them and uh yeah that's the whole thing and then they go back and that thing jumps out and scares everybody in the royal court that's it you know i mean and i it's that simple but yet i think about stuff like how many episodes of the original star trek and almost all the star trek movies of every generation uh, of film and not so much star wars but definitely trek uh you know stuff like lost in space, uh, all versions of yeah, that the
0: expanse. Yeah.
1: Yes. Expanse. Um, you know, even something more modern, like the arrival. Um, and you can even go to like independence day, which is kind of a nineties, you know, vibe, you know, again, Roland Emmerich kind of stuff, but even go back to, um, you know, flash Gordon and some of that stuff. And even something wacky like Barbarella, you know, it just gets way out there and, and Toby Hooper's life force, which is a whole trip in and of itself. If you haven't seen it, um, all of it draws some bit of influence from this. And I I sat and I just kind of watched and let it wash over me, Mike. And I, I started to think, I was like, in 1902, this had to blow people's wigs, like to see something like this. Cause motion pictures had only been around for a handful of years and to be able to pull off the artistry with the effects and all this stuff. I mean, it looks hokey to us now. We could do it in the back of your apartment, you know, for 20 bucks, but in those days, that nobody saw anything like that. So everybody dropping a nickel to go watch this thing. No wonder it was huge, you know. And they spent uh, ten thousand franc on it, you know, back in the day. That's a lot of money. I nineteen hundred. So I just think it's 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 fabulous, and the fact that it had international acclaim because it doesn't have language, so there's no barrier to it. Um, which is one of the coolest things about the silent film era. And I think it's why some so we have so much more foreign influence, at least from our American eyes, because there wasn't the language barrier. You could get over it either with title cards, um, like we'll talk about it in an upcoming film, or um, in this case, there you don't need the dialogue. And I don't know, I just found it fascinating. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, I guess a plot summary all wrapped in one and all of it, but the just initial impressions, I was blown away by how many things this it led to.
0: Yeah, and this film was also so popular that I was reading something that like Thomas Edison stole prints mm-hmm. uh, was sh- screening them and saying that he made it. Like that that's yes. how that's how <laughs> successful this was was that Thomas Edison like the king of stealing anything was saying yes. it was his and yeah. and that was like this so this was definitely something that I had thought I had seen and then I was watching it, and I completely forgot about like the Aboriginals on the moon. I was like, okay, look, yeah. I'm glad I'm rewatching this. And I actually watched this on YouTube. Um, it's it's from the Billy Brass Quintet. I guess they did their own soundtrack to it with mm-hmm. um, with just brass horns and uh, and just an ensemble, and it it, it worked phenomenally. It, phenomenally, it just worked great. And and so I, one of the things that I was really blown away buying this it's just like the style of this uh, of this mm-hmm. short it's almost like kind of like steampunky and very like theatrical yeah. even like the small details of you know it's it's a bullet that they send to the moon and then you know mm-hmm. with the the map paintings it's like this mile long uh, fantastical uh, th- th- uh i don't know bullet gun that they that they just shoot to the moon and uh, even like there's the, the moment when they're on the um I guess industrialized whatever city and they're looking at the moon from, from these rooftops and the, even like their telescopes are like wood cutouts. And I was like, Oh, that's like really stylistic. They're really committing to this like theater esque because that, and that's such a small detail that I feel like anyone could have just been like, Oh, here's a telescope, like whatever, but no, they, this, the, the production design of, we're going to stick to a very fantastical specific, theme and I, steampunk didn't wasn't a theme or a sub subculture whatever that mm-hmm. it is now then but um and I, yeah i was i was also really surprised at how well i was able to follow the the entire story with zero um with zero title cards or yeah. or language it's just exaggerated movements and the score which that's why i was going to ask you where you watch this because i'm curious of if this score was different, or if it was like an abridged version, or if people just take this and they just like this, is definitely. I, I'd be very curious to see if you got a bunch of musicians together, if mm-hmm. each one cut a different score to this, how would it change the short? I, the I'd way be very you watch curious. It?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they were, they were not intended to be seen silently. The, his films never were generally they, he had a narrator there that would accompany it and they would do live sound effects and things like that. And they use multiple different, scores in there, but he didn't have a a specific one for anything. Um, And so there, there's lots of different things. The one I heard was um, an English composer, Ezra Reed uh, did a piano piece that he called a trip to the moon. That's the one I heard uh, laid over the top of this. And I think it's kind of the more famous one or maybe the more of the more well-known ones, but there's tons of them that have different, uh, you know, scores related to them. And they all have kind of this whimsical sort of, a carnival thing going on. That's, that's the best way I know how to describe it. And I could, you know, I'm watching this and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm going, of course, decades ahead, but I'm thinking about stuff like uh, what Ray Bradbury would put together. And even like Rod Serling and, you know, people like that. And I don't know, there's, it, it's like, there's a little bit of sinister like on it, but there's also the sort of this old timey kind of what I call Western, you know, saloon music happening uh at the same time and it gives it a a real fanciful kind of up feel But it also goes dramatic when you know they're they're being attacked and you know they're they're flying through the space and all this stuff. It's um, but then you know it lifts up at the end when the tugboat's pulling the little Mm -hmm. rocket ship in. You know, I want to talk about the rocket thing though because this and I couldn't find anything to verify this, but you know, I I I grew up not that far from a big NASA hub in Huntsville, Alabama. I grew up in North Alabama, not far from there, so I learned a lot about NASA growing up because you're just in the backyard of it and you know so many people work there and things like that. And you look at the rocket design, and it's not all that different from the Mercury and the Apollo rockets. Those things are big old bullets on the end of big old, you know, chambers. I mean, that's what those rockets were. And, and still to a lot of ways, I mean, the solid rocket boosters of the shuttle were too. And so it's funny how they they just guessed that, well, that's what it would have to look like. And decades later, the scientists that created that, that's what they did. I mean, and you know, all of that bore out, of course, wartime things like the German rocket program. It's still shaped like a big projectile. It's a bullet, you know, and uh, I, I got a kick out of it. And I, what I wanted to, to ask you about was the whole idea of the moon with a the face is this living organism and they shoot it in the eye. And it's almost like the moon six its inhabitants on them. It's just like you shot my eye out.
0: Yeah, it's it's it is something of like, and that's such like a, a strikingly creepy visual because you're it yes. kind of comes out of nowhere of just like this this like man on the moon like face and then they sh- yeah they shoot him in the eye and that's like the like iconic you see that like I, people have seen that visual even if they don't know that this is from but yeah right. it's almost like this uh, this uh, personification of the moon that uh, that I guess we've been obsessed with whether it be like the moon Mm -hmm. is actual like a force or that there's someone on the moon or like, it's like being controlled and yeah. And I do, and I do love like when we get to the moon where it's, it's so funny now, like, you know, like over a hundred years later, they just plop down on the moon. They come out with their, like their Mary Poppins umbrellas and they're just, they, they sleep, they have a camp out on the moon and then it snows from some sort of, I don't know, mystical angels or someone cosmic entities come down and make it snow. So they go into the moon surface. And then inside the moon is this huge, like Pandora-esque like dreamscape that has all these, like these plants around. And then yeah, the inhabitants of, like I said, this is where I, I just got strong, like King Kong vibes or, and that's Mm -hmm. where one of the illusions that, I mean, obviously it's not confirmed, but I was like, wow, like, that's pretty neat. It would make sense if it was, you know, 20, 30 years later, uh, another hugely impactful film paying homage to, or it's not even paying homage, well, could be, but it's also this idea of just (laughs) the bloodthirsty savages. That is a very not PC thing to really do with at all. But um, but yeah, there's a lot of striking visuals. And that was the other thing. The, the camera tricks that um, this dire- I'm just going to butcher the director's name, so I'm just going to call him the director. Um, he, uh, I watched a few of his other films after this, and I love the consistency of his, like, it's almost like surrealist uh, visuals that he's yes. able to get across. And I, and I love the, um, like, how they make people disappear. You know, they hit them with the umbrella, they hard cut, and then it's a big, plume of smoke and it's cut so well i mean it's almost like how you see stop motion people do it's like okay hit him don't don't move don't move we're not going to move the camera okay three two one like this actor get out big plume of smoke okay now do it over there it just it's so technical and this is you know like you mentioned earlier how this would have blown people away and It it kind of blows me away that they're able like it's such a rudimentary setup of equipment, but they're able to get these, like these these amazing illusions that, you know, someone like even like Tommy Wiseau in the room he couldn't do anything like this, or like Neil Breen like he can't do anything like this, and we have the power of modern day cinema technology, and these dudes in 1902 were able to accomplish way more complex illusions and in camera trickery than some people today
1: well yeah i mean it harkens back to the the days of like gilbert and sullivan and you know the their works as victorian era dramatists and, and all this stuff, and just the way that even going all the way back to shakespeare and the way that those plays were presented and things is it i mean Calling it a production is not the wrong word. They put on incredible looking things in front of people that would blow them away. And even to this day, like you, if you go to see a a Broadway show, whether it's the touring company or you go to New York and check it out, what they pull together on a stage takes you to a different place. You forget you're looking at a stage if it's done well, or if you know you go see Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, you can't help but notice you're watching a stage. But but you know that's that's when I watch this, I lo- I realize a lot of these early films, in particular, I'm watching a stage play filmed, and they're working off of a real stage, and they don't care that it's a stage. They're not hung up on that. They're not trying to screen it out. They're just working with what they've got. And because the the point is, and and what George Malay I think is is confident in is that you're going to be so blown away by what's happening on the stage and how fast it's moving around that you're not going to pay attention to the fact that like, how did they do that? It's only on a rewatching that you can kind of, you start seeing the strings and you see how it's all done, but that's what makes it fun. And you, you realize like the artistry it takes to pull something like that off. And you start thinking about what that bread king kong great example um you know from the 30s and then and then you think about all the 50s monster movies that that bred and all the sci-fi terror and and all of that stuff and then even into you know like more fanciful things but you know flash forward even to to our lifetimes you know our obsession with space travel has never ended Uh, and i don't think ever will because it's so hard to understand how that works right and to why, you see the good ones and you think like oh god it looks amazing the way that's done you know and and uh but it all harkens back to something like this and something so simple uh too and i think it, it's an it's a piece of evidence that you don't have to have the most complicated idea to make something that is memorable you just have to have the will to do things no one else has done and take a shot at it. And I mean, I I looked up through the the director's filmography and I mean, I'd never seen anything else he's ever done, but just reading about them and kind of seeing clips of them and stuff, this is his style. And he, he you can tell this was a time when filmmakers were, they were as much artists in the true sense of the word as they ever have been. And I don't know, I, I was blown away with this and then to read about, you know, just what it did to audiences and how just, they were just, Oh, just blown away with it, you know? And, and the fact that this got shown at fairgrounds and <laughs> the local corner, I mean, anywhere that would exhibit the film, he was having it out there. um, It's pretty amazing, you know, to think about that it's lasted this long, you know, and, and continues to last.
0: And I think you could show most people this with the right score and there still be just as engaged in this film. Um And I think hopefully even more thinking like, wow, this movie's from 1902 or not like the early 1900s. Yeah. Like this is like pure, um, like cinematic like storytelling um i also really like how there's not just like a it's not a one trick pony like there's so many effects going on whether it's in camera whether it's um using like like switching between miniatures and large scale um some of it is a little bit more obvious than others you know (laughs) like dropping our our bullet into a uh, fish tank that that was a little bit more noticeable but even like when um they drop off the edge of the uh off of the moon, and it and it goes from a one of the uh, the inhabitants of the moon jumping, and then it hard cuts almost seamlessly, and it's just like I, I could have swore it's a miniature, and it teeters and teeters and just falls off, and it's just there's no way mm-hmm. that was the scale of them because just how it moved, but. The but it was, was just that's seamless. the thing oh was it it, it
1: is it, it was it's not the full piece it's just like it's the facade it's just the side but it tilts over like there's still pictures of them like messing with it on the set was it and wait so
0: you're telling me that was like i don't know 15 feet yeah of, oh they wow because it moves a fifth, like a miniature yeah but, like it's, it, it's just it, how or maybe they sped mm-hmm. the film up. but again it's it's the
1: trick of the film yeah and, so and, we're, and,
0: we're still yeah. like the point is like we're talking about it over yeah. like a hundred what 20 years years from now?
1: Yeah, 120 years. Literally,
0: 120 120 years. Like, we're still debating, like, I thought it was this, and then it's like, oh no, this is actually how they did it, which is even more impressive to me, that this is like a 15 foot cut out of wood, that they just manipulated the film to make it Mm -hmm. look something different. Um, That's awesome. Uh, And
1: I think it's neat too, that for the, the the moon people, or whatever, I think they're called Selenites, or something like that, but I I don't know that, that. He hired like, Uh, acrobats and gymnasts to do it. And that explains their movements is, you know, they're kind of hopping around. That's why I called them. They're like the flying monkeys in the wizard of Oz. And, you know, he, we should say the director's playing the lead professor. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, he's the lead character. So if you want to see him, there he is. Uh, But you, you have all these other illusions too, like Saturn leans out of his, you know, planet and you've got the goddess, the moon here and all this other, just, it seems so hokey now, but at the time, It's what anybody believes that, you know, if they were into secular humanism, if you want to say, like, this is what people would believe. And so it made sense to make a story about it. Right. And I think, you know, I I tried to think of modern. Is there anything that's happened in the last, you know, just a little bit that's happened and it finally hit me. I was like, slap my forehead. Um, Don't look up that, you know, just came out on Netflix. I was like, well, we're still obsessed with this idea. Like, it's still out there, you know, and. But the thing that that gets me about this, Mike, is that it's really not about the moon or any of that. It's about the what you what the links we will go to as a humankind to explore things, yeah, exploration, and yeah. Yeah. And then opening Pandora's box and being very regretful that you did, I because mean, as soon as they get there, they're trying to get back because, oh, no. And we should say, like, they get out of the capsule, they're walking around like it's no big deal. I mean, we know now the physics of that, you know, <laughs> but you would die immediately. But it's funny to think like the hubris of us to think, like, well, yeah, we'll just go over there and it'll be just like here. You know, and I don't know. I just I think it's funny because I've always known that, like, oh, there's pressure and atmospheres and all this stuff. But in 1902, people didn't know that necessarily. I mean, we we told the weather by, you know, watching balloons <laughs> shift in the wind and all kinds of other things. Right.
0: Yeah. I don't even I don't even think like the aeronauts happened yet like them go i don't think it happened when they went into the like the stratosphere to Mm -hmm. like look at weather patterns uh i don't even think yeah that didn't happen yet so yeah that is an interesting point of like the hubris of just like how we could think yeah we'll just go up that that rock that's floating in in the space that no one like every like all different cultures have had different theories on, but this is what's going to happen, and you know we can just get out a blanket and take a nap on the surface of the moon, and it's just going to be that simple. And there's yeah. and the inhabitants of the moon will conquer, even though it's funny that they they all run away, and then. They, all, they come back on earth and they're all uh everyone is just celebrating them they bring it they even like tame it i think don't they like dance with it at the end yeah so yeah. it's yeah it's this was definitely um i think the the right move to open this series with because uh i think this is something like i said that people think they've seen maybe it's like a mandela effect like they think they've seen it and then you actually yeah. start watching it and you're like mm, maybe i'm just could, i'm just literally taking different. Uh, components of silent films and just mashing them into one so i think that's what happened with me and i'm just super glad i was able to watch this and i do want to explore just like the different soundtracks and i think that like i said i think that would be interesting if musicians got together and just composed radically different soundtracks for this as like a little thought experiment to see how you can Mm -hmm. manipulate uh film with score which we will definitely get into in this journey with uh with some soundtracks and uh and manipulate manipulation using music.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We weren't there yet. We're, we're a couple of decades from where that's going to be part of, of the story and things here, but I, I'm glad we started with this one too uh, because we need to pay homage to this time period um, and what it brings forth. And like we've said, it, it's a, it's themes that get repeated over the next 120 years and will continue to get repeated throughout so it's definitely something worth worth saying i would tell people go look this up on youtube and just spend 12 minutes doing it and i'll tell you one thing i did too we talk about the soundtrack the last time i watched it i muted it and i just let it play and i just wanted to say okay how am i going to respond to this with nothing and it was because i watched our next film which is completely silent has no soundtrack to it um and i thought okay let me experience trip to the moon that way and see if i feel any differently about it and i and I didn't I mean I still got what I got out of it but I think it's probably clouded by the fact that the first time I watched it it had that piano soundtrack to it so I would tell people like if you're going to watch this and you've never seen it watch it straight once with no sound And then go back and watch it with the various soundtracks that you might hear laid on it and see what you think of it. It's definitely worth checking out. But yeah, Trip to the Moon from 1902 is a great way to start out the uh, journey through the decades here, as it were.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. So I guess that concludes this episode. Uh, A little bit on the shorter side, I think, the episodes are going to get progressively longer as the films get a little bit more nuanced and they get definitely longer um, and just more and more components, which is also going to be an interesting uh, thing to see with these films that we're all, uh, we'll be watching to see just the trends of, of films and uh, I- in this very specific, uh, I guess, population data that we'll, we'll be watching. But um, but yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, this was a great, um, if you want to take your time to plug uh, Filmstrip, film strip, any other show at the end of this, I know, yeah, by all means, go for it.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Again, thanks so much for for joining me on this journey and and giving me the platform to do it here on Amateur Tours. So lots of fun to to do this. Uh, yeah, you can you can find uh, Filmstrip Podcast where you'll hear me, Lindsey, Ron, Mike, other guests coming on, chatting up all kinds of movies. That's kind of the joke about Filmstrip is we do all of it. And uh, this has been released in January of 2022, so we've done west side story um the remake and then we just talked about uh, we just had an episode on the new scream movie i had two guests on uh, Corey uh from Fangoria and anthony from tis the podcast came on and talked about that one with me and then Lindsay and i and Ron have already recorded a couple of other episodes and Lindsay and her friend Ryan and I've done a another episode that'll come out later. We're recording a lot of stuff, but go to filmstrippodcast.com or just search podcast in your favorite podcatcher and you will find our stuff. And we have 320 plus episodes in the uh, archive. So something there for everybody. So yeah, thanks so much for, for uh, let me come on the show and uh, talk about that and uh, look forward to our next film. Uh, Cause we're going to the 1910s and I guess I'll go ahead and say it now. We're doing a, a Russian film called the dying swan. Uh, from 1917, and I can't wait to get into that one.
0: Yeah, and uh, that was an Audible, which we'll, we'll get. I guess we can briefly mention in the next episode as a little tease. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is. Uh, There's going to be a, a little bit more. That's going to be an interesting episode. Just um, I, as a tease, I. I didn't have as a positive reaction as I did towards Trip to the Moon, but I definitely had a reaction, which we'll get into next episode. So Indeed. once again, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Uh, very excited to see where this journey goes of this filmmaking journey. And um, yeah, you can follow the show on, a, at, on Twitter at pod You can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at Podcast* at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening to the show. We'll see you next time.